Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but everybody has a story. Everybody has a story that they are living out. But in the context of a relationship with Jesus Christ, every single story is packed with promise and with purpose. And not only is every single story packed with promise and purpose for the person who's living it out, it's actually also packed with patterns for the rest of us to learn and, and to follow. And this has really been kind of the underlying assumption, the presupposition of this series that we've been in for the last few weeks as a church called Cool Story, Bro. Hey, but actually. Because the fact of the matter is, your story, like my story, like her story, is always something that God is working in and working through, not only in our lives and for us, but also for people around us. It's amazing if you will take the time over the next few days, over the next few weeks, to sit down and talk to somebody, not about work, not about the weather, but, but just about them. Ask questions about who they are, about what they do, about where they come from, and, and just kind of, in an in a unoffensive way, probe a little bit. Don't pry, but probe. And, and just kind of ask where they come from you will be amazed at the stories that come out of that. Now, as people of faith, we know that God uses those stories to, to illustrate, to, to inspire, and to motivate other people. And that's another part of what this series has been all about. Scott and Susan Dunaway have been long, long-time members of the Lake Hills Church family. And... Today, I want to share with you their story of their family and again remind you that as we've seen throughout this entire series, it's all been just like you and me, just ordinary people responding to the extraordinary grace of God and watching him weave their story through their lives. As you will see in the story of the Dunaways, it really is a cool story, bro. We met at TCU, and um, a few years later, kind of got an opportunity to reintroduce ourselves to each other in Washington, D.C. Texans kind of gravitate towards each other. When we got married, we, we knew we were gonna have kids. I think we each kind of had an idea of the, you know, what that looked like, but I certainly knew that some of the road ahead was gonna have some, some challenges and that there were some unknowns. After we were married, maybe a year, Scott was like, okay, I'm ready to have kids. Let's, let's get on it. We knew we needed to go through some hoops, jump through some ho hoops to find out if this was going to be a possibility for us. Susan has a condition called dilated cardiomyopathy. It is uh, in cardiovascular circles known as uh, a silent killer. So it's a very similar disease to what her father had and her brother had. Both were undiagnosed. Both died of cardiac arrest unexpectedly. Susan is healthy. She, it is a known disease. Uh, it's treated, it's managed, but it also presents unique challenges, especially related to medication. And, and one of those unique challenges is that a medication that she was taking causes birth defects. 
Um, so can Susan's body perform without the medication? And the answer was no. And Susan and I decided that um, we were better off pursuing other paths for a family than going through the risk of a pregnancy. There was a concern that the doctor expressed that while Susan is completely capable of carrying a baby, that it could, it could deteriorate her health to a point that it doesn't recover. She said no, and God really used her to close that door and sort of set us on a different path. And it's hard to wrap your brain around, as a woman, it's hard to wrap my brain around the fact that I wouldn't be the one carrying our children. So my doctor's appointment was on a Friday. And then on Sunday was, was when we got the email from Frana. So Frana has been a part of our lives for a really long time, for as long as I can remember. She was just the coolest girl. This is Frana. This is me, obviously uh, hanging on her every word. This is my sister, Molly, and this is my brother, John, along with two other friends. And she sent us an email and said, Mike and I would like to consider carrying your baby. I think we agreed. Sure, let's explore the opportunities. And the caveat was, and we're moving to Laguna Beach in three weeks, so that's how long we have to do this in person. Mm -hmm. So we did act pretty quickly in making some appointments and just trying to wrap our brains around what it meant medically, legally, financially, emotionally. And I'd say it was probably July when she called and said, okay, I think we're ready. We're ready to say yes, let's do this. Frana agreed to be our gestational carrier for me and Scott's embryos. I remember her calling and saying, why don't we put in two embryos? And we were like, oh, we could handle twins. That sounds like fun. And then we went, we asked the doctor, of course, could we put in two embryos? And she said, sure. And then I said, what's the possibility of one of these embryos splitting to make identical twins? She said, it happens so rarely, we don't even need to talk about it. So they confirmed that she was pregnant. She came back in town for the first sonogram at seven weeks. And I walked out of the office, and I turned around and looked at everybody who had been praying for us and kind of knowing all the details of these high numbers, and I said, just pray it's not triplets, everybody. And the doctor pulled out her sonogram machine, and she started up, and she stopped, and she started up again, and then she stopped, and she started again, and she just kind of looked up and she said, well, this is not something we really see every day around here. And we're all on pins and needles, and she said, there are three heartbeats in there. She said, there's a real risk here that the amniotic sacs will not develop, which means they would share a placenta and share an amniotic sac, which is very dangerous. So we left there just full of fear. You know, we're fearful because truly, legally, while the babies are in Frana's womb, she is the decision maker. So I, I really spent the better part of two weeks crying and praying 
and my prayer really was, God, don't make this about us. Take every decision out of our hands. Use the doctors, make it clear, make it so very clear. And she came back in two weeks and we went to the doctor and he said, congratulations, you're gonna have three very healthy babies. And then we started to make plans for me to go to California to help with her family. Frana has three kids. At the time, they were three and a half, five, and eight. And that's a lot of work for somebody who's pregnant with triplets. We, we talk so much about Frana and Mike's sacrifice and just what they, but truth be told, like these guys, these guys gave up you know, a year of their life to see, to watch what the, what the four of us were doing. But I loved how Frana posed it to them, and Frana and Mike, just that, you know, this is how, doing this for someone else, this is how you truly love on people. And the kids were born exactly one year to the day from when my cardiologist told me that I could not carry a baby. Anne is a long family name on the Weber and Dunaway side. Francis was my grandfather's name. Ashley Michael, our second daughter. That is Susan and I's middle names. And then John Sadler. Uh, John was the name of Susan's brother and Sadler is of course Frana and Mike's last name. It was a process for us. It was, I think it was a process to be humbled, um, to be obedient, to be prayerful, um, to be trusting, and to know that the path is not a path that you lay out. And that those are, there are a lot of hard lessons to learn along that way, but um, the reward is, is his blessing. And, and for us, that blessing was healthy triplets. They are our greatest blessing. They are our greatest charge. Um, and they've changed our lives. God's story just continues, like that he continues to move and to weave our lives um, in a way that you just, you can't imagine the glorious picture that he is painting. You only see this little part, the little part that's right in front of you at the moment that seems scary, that might be, your biggest struggle of your whole life. But then when you piece all those little struggles together, it's this amazing picture. I couldn't watch it this morning because I got to talk afterwards. But you almost don't know where to begin mining this story for the spiritual gold that is laced throughout. I mean, you, you could go with, I don't know, something about maybe perseverance in the face of a dream denied, or maybe divine creativity to overcome adversity. That, that'd be a good sermon as well. You could also talk about like the incredible sacrifice and love of a friend who says, I want to carry a child for you. You know what? 
Let's make it two. And then that became three. That would be, that would be a, a powerful sermon as well. You could also pick up the thread of prayerfulness that, that runs throughout the entire story itself. But I, I think as, as I look through and as I've gotten to know Scott and Susan over the years, Scott really put it best. And, and I wrote down his words because I think it's so spot on. Scott said, it was a process for us. It was a process to be humbled, to be obedient, prayerful, trusting, and to know that the path is not a path that you lay out. There are a lot of hard lessons to learn along that way, but the reward is his blessing, the blessings of God. That right there, there's your sermon this morning, because I think if you think about some of the most misunderstood, misapplied concepts of the Christian life that you could ever imagine, the blessings of God would have to be in at least the top three. I think a lot of us understand that there is such a thing as blessings, but we very rarely understand how we experience that or what God is really and truly up to as he dispenses those blessings. Now, now there's one extreme that says God just wants you to be healthy, happy, and just always peppy and bursting with love no matter what. And that's a, that's a cute little sentiment. It just doesn't have any basis in Scripture. There's another approach or mindset over here that says the Christian life is so life and death serious. And it is. But it's so life and death serious that as followers of Jesus, we should never have any fun whatsoever. And if you ever make a single dime of money more than I do, you are out of the will of God. Now, it's not just about the money, but that's what we reduce the blessings of God to many, many times. When in reality, the truth of Scripture, what, what God communicates in the Bible, lies somewhere in between. Is it true that God wants to bless his children? Absolutely. Does he also discipline those he loves? Absolutely. Is it true that sometimes the Christian life really is life and death serious and we need to understand the heaven and hell consequences of this life? Absolutely. But it's, it's there in the middle that you start to kind of understand how God operates and you understand that the blessings of God reveal his purposes and his promises and they require our participation. They require you and me to step up and to step into this relationship that God calls us into. So I want you right now, even though there's a hurricane blowing outside, I want you to turn to your neighbor with passion and enthusiasm and tell them, get your blessings on. Get your blessings on. Okay, now listen, we're, we're, our, our, our numbers are diminished today, but our spirit is strong. So I need, you, I need you to step up a little bit more and, and a little bit stronger than that because we don't have the quantity that we usually have. So we got to raise all of our game this morning. Tell your other neighbor, who's now your second choice, like you really mean it. Get your blessing on. Now, what Scott laid out there is obviously their story come to life. Literally, literally, the, the blessings of God 
come to life and growing and multiplying. The, the Dunaways have the most effective church growth method that we've ever known in 20 years as a history of a church. But that's just their story. But what Scott alluded to when he talked about the reward is God's blessing, he said what? He said it was an opportunity to be humbled, to be obedient, to be trusting, and to be prayerful. Now, I know Scott well. He has served on, the, on our board of directors as our church and, and has been a great friend to Julie and me, he and Susan. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't think Scott intentionally outlined a sermon when he made that statement. But make no mistake about it, Scott outlined a sermon. When you, when you think about experiencing the blessings of God, you have to understand that the blessings of God are always intended to flow to us in order to flow through us. You see, left to my own devices, this is just my natural tendency. I'm sure you're probably more spiritually mature than this. But my natural tendency is to focus on what's coming in. When in reality, the blessings of God are always intended to flow to us in order to flow through us. If you've got your Bible or maybe you've got a Bible on your phone or iPad or something, I want you to look in the book of Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number 30. Because the dynamic that Scott was explaining here is nothing new in how God operates. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, while you're looking that up, I'll give you a little background. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses is addressing the nation of Israel. He's just spent the entire book of Deuteronomy laying out the law of God. It's referred to in theological circles as the Mosaic Covenant. The covenant of God. This was God explaining to Israel through Moses how they were to function in relationship with him as his chosen people. The law of Moses was there to explain how this relationship works. Now, a lot of us might kind of recoil and go, wait a minute, why would you give rules and regulations to a relationship? That doesn't sound very sweet. Listen, every relationship has rules and regulation. Would somebody who's married help me preach? I'm just saying, you have rules that help the relationship work. And when you step outside of those rules, relationship no worse so good. You have to understand the rules of the road in order to travel the journey together. And that's what Moses was explaining throughout the entire book of Deuteronomy. But in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he kind of brings it all to a head. And it's interesting, too, to note that Moses is doing this knowing that he won't be the one to lead Israel into the promised land, the promised land that God had promised to Abram, who became Abraham centuries before, over 500 years before. This promise is now coming true in Moses because of his own rebellion, because of his own spirit. God said, you will not lead them in, but rather Joshua will, but I need you to get my people ready. And look at what Moses said to them. This is a little bit longer passage, but I want you to stick with it and, and read through it with me. Look at what he says to them. He says, today... I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. 
You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses, I mean, he puts a really fine point on it. He says, here's the deal. You get to choose. God has invited you into this covenant relationship that he's going to use to bless the entire world. Remember what he promised Abraham. He said, Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and through you, all peoples of the world will be blessed. That was the promise of Jesus. Abraham was the beginning. He was just a family of two. It was Abraham and Sarah. And God said, I will make out of you two people, this little family that has no children, a massive world changing nation. You will have so many descendants that you won't even be able to count them. It'll be like grains of sand on the beach or stars in the sky. And this entrance into the promised land is the next generational shift and step in that promise becoming a reality. And Moses says, listen, hey, I'm giving you the choice. You get to decide. You get to decide whether you will experience the life God created you for and the blessings or the curses associated with turning away from him and walking away from him and rejecting him and his ways. He says the blessings are absolutely unbelievable. But remember we said that the blessings of God reveal his purposes and his promises, not only here with Israel but also with you and me, but, it, but they require our participation. Our participation has to happen in those four words that Scott uttered so eloquently, to be humbled, to be obedient, to, to, to follow God prayerfully and, and ultimately trustingly. Every single word that Scott used to describe their process that led to the blessings of the triplets is a relational word. If you think about the word for obedience, to, to obey the word of God, to do what the Bible says and stay away from what the Bible says stay away from, that is ultimately a relational choice. You know, a lot of times we, we don't like rules and regulations because we like to chart our own course. We like to determine our own destiny. You know, sometimes if you tell your kids you will enjoy chocolate cake, they're going to be like, no, I won't. And you're like, hey, Swifty, I'm telling you, you'll enjoy chocolate cake. But if you tell somebody they have to do something, we automatically recoil from that. We automatically back up like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who are you to tell? Well, in a relationship with God, who are you? He's God. That's why one of our mantras as a church, and we don't really do mantras, but if we did, this would be one of them. We'll call it a motto. One of our mottos is you are God and I am not. That's one of the most liberating prayers you will ever pray, but it's also one of the most humbling prayers. If you're from Houston, it's an humbling prayer, but it's, it's humbling. It's humbling to go, you know, I'm going to recognize and acknowledge that you're God, and I'm, I'm not going to play God anymore. Most of us wouldn't say that we want to be God. 
But all of us have to fight the urge to play God in our own lives. We, we have to fight that urge, and, and that's that humbling that Scott talked about, that, that the obedience thing. Man, there, there are some parts of Scripture I wish God would have left out. I, I mean, there, there are parts in there that's kind of like, I would, you know, I know you said don't do this, but I would really like to do that. So could we maybe work something? Sometimes Scripture's inconvenient. Sometimes we, we don't like to do what God says to do, but you've got to remember every single word of Scripture comes from God. It's inspired. It is God-breathed. And as such, you can know, you can rely on the fact that it's there for our good. Yes, for his glory, first and foremost. But ultimately, as we bring God glory, he brings us good. So that obedience thing plays out. That the prayerful part of this relationship is to, is to genuinely connect with God. Not only in times of crisis, not only when, when it looks like a dream maybe has died, but also when things are going great. We just, just life's good. Hey, wife and I clicking, we're on the same page. I need to remember, that's the time to give thanks, to give glory to God. Because there are days, I've heard, when husband and wife don't get along. When, when you're not on the same page. But you remain prayerful. The Bible says, in everything, give thanks. Pray without ceasing. Praying is just talking to God, just sharing your heart with God, which, by the way, he already knows. He just wants you to make the effort. He just wants you to make the effort and to connect with him and to experience the power that's available through prayer. But, but it ultimately comes down to the last word that Scott used, and it's that, it's that word trusting. It's that word trust. To trust God more than we trust ourselves. To trust that he will fulfill his purposes and he will accomplish his promises in and through our lives. And the primary way that he does that is through blessing. The blessing of the relationships we have. The blessing of the resources we have. The blessing of the circumstances around us. The blessing of his presence in our lives. All of these things are given to us to flow through us. Now, some of us are, are kind of going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That whole obedience thing and, and the, the humbling is, is, can we, is there maybe a side route around that, a detour around it? Don't detour around these things. I, I want to back up just a few verses. Before Moses kind of laid the law down, if you will, before he really kind of threw the gauntlet down, he said something so profound and so important that we need to remember. Look at verses 11 and following. He says, this command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you. And it's not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? It's not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Here's the promise of God. It is there 
for the taking. And a lot of times people get hung up in getting started on how do you, how do you really obey God? And I'm going I'm to break it down to its bare essence right now. You start obeying God by starting to obey God. Just, just do the next right thing. Just the next right thing. If, you're, if your kid kind of snaps back at you, which happens from time to time. Again, I've read books. I know stories about families where that happens. Do you snap back? Do you, do you kind of assert yourself like, hey, you want to go? That, that, in that moment? Or do you remember, I'm the adult. I'm the grown-up. Sweetheart, come here. I need you to understand something. That tone of voice isn't going to work here. Your life will work a lot better and be a lot more fun if you'll be sweet when dad asks you to do something or when mom asks you to do something. Because remember, if you're rude to mom, you and I are going to have real problems. Because as I've said before, I chose her, you just showed up. <laughs> you see, the message is the same, but the tone of voice Right now, my daughter in the front row is breaking into a cold sweat because she's heard that more than a few times. But she's now grown out of the house, buying her own food, and so it's okay. This is, this is a historical reference for her. Do the next right thing. And sometimes we, we can get so focused on the next right thing and so ingrained in that, down at a granular level, we can forget that God's up to something, that, that God is doing something. And it's actually, it, it's, it's something that Susan Dunaway put a really fine point on. I think it's interesting that, that Scott gave us the introduction to the sermon and Susan gives us the conclusion this week, but it's, it's too good to skate by. Listen to what Susan said. I, I wrote this down also. This is verbatim. She said, God's story just continues, that, that he continues to move and weave our lives in a way that you can't imagine the glorious picture that he is painting. You only see the little part that's right in front of you at the moment that seems scary, that might be your biggest struggle of your whole life. But then when you piece all those struggles together, it, it's this amazing picture It's, it's all these little, little pieces of glass or, or tile that, that God fits together and it, it becomes all of a sudden kind of a coherent, I, th I think I'm starting to see something happen. Especially if I look back, I can, and it, and it becomes this staggering mosaic of grace and light and color, and hope, and promise, and purpose. And we have to keep in mind the granular do the next right thing as well as the big picture. The big picture that God is always working on, always moving forward, always advancing. And again, this concept's not something that 
Susan Dunaway cooked up based on her own experiences or, or feelings. This is based in the fact, the truth of who God is and what he does. Ephesians chapter 3. You might notice on your way out the door in just a few minutes that it's in, literally etched in stone in our building in the lobby. The Bible says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That this is who he is and this is what he does. And we remember these things while we're paying attention to the details. While we're being obedient in the moment. While we're putting ourselves in position to receive the blessings of God so that we may then send out the blessings of God from our lives. And this is who Jesus is and this is what he does. The greatest blessing the world has ever known is the opportunity to live a life with a free, con with a free conscience, to, to be forgiven, to experience grace. Not the kind of grace that you get if somebody lets you in in traffic. That, that's, that's nice. But the kind of grace that comes from the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of this universe and the one who breathed life into your soul, this same Jesus. And it requires a relationship. It requires cooperation. It requires participation and collaboration. We have to choose to respond to his grace initiative. Now, some in this room have done that. We, we've stepped over that line of faith and said, I'm in. I'm not perfect, and that's why I want in. Forgiveness, grace, the life that is truly life. But if you're here today and you've never stepped into that, why not right now? Why, why not right now just choose to follow Christ? To, to pray a prayer of commitment, a prayer of submitting to him? To the only one who will never take advantage of your submission, of your surrender. The one that in our surrender is glorified, and as we bring him glory, he brings us good and blessings and the life that is truly life. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And as we pray, if you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Christ, we invite you to do that right now. Just personally, right where you are, silently, just talk to God. Just, just right where you are, silently say something like this. If you want to begin a relationship with God, just say, Jesus, I need you. I commit my life to you, and I will follow you from this moment forward. I confess my sin, and I claim your forgiveness. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me, and that you rose again. Jesus, thank you 
Thank you for doing that. Thank you for making me aware of that. And thank you for calling me to live out of that and for that. I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, just remain with your heads bowed for another moment. If that was your prayer, I want you to know this is the greatest day of your life. The day that you braved the elements and came to church when a lot of other people stayed home, that was the day. And I want you to know that as a church, we want to help in any way that we can. If you would, allow us the privilege to help, to come alongside at whatever pace works for you. Before you leave, in just a few minutes, if you would just take your program and fill out that connect card that's there in the program. Fill it out and indicate that I committed my life to Christ this week. You can tear it off at the perforation, and before you leave, hand it to one of our ushers or hosts or to somebody who's underneath the blue awning out front under the big exit. But second of all, if, if you prayed that prayer to begin a relationship with God, to step into that covenant, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, would you raise your hand, please? Just, just quietly, but unmistakably, raise your hand up high. And as you do that, you stamp this moment in your life, but also in the life of this church. And as a family of faith, we honor that. We, we celebrate that in your life. And our family tradition is, as you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.